Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside the Ford Training Studio, where we're coming uh, with your sports medicine radio show every week, talking about what's going on in the sports medicine world. Hey, great to have you with us today. And what we do here on Docs and Jocks, we talk about what's happened in the sports medicine world, but we do it. Uh, really talk about maybe your favorite team, your favorite player, to see who's been injured and uh, talk about those injuries. But we also like to talk to you as well. So, man, we'd be love to have you and your question uh, made available to us by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And there you can uh, email us your question if you'd like to have that answered on air. We're not taking the place of your sports medicine physician, but we are trying to help you get back out on the field and learn some different things about your injury that maybe you hear from uh, your favorite athlete being injured that's similar to what you had and help you get back on the field as well. I've been doing the sports medicine thing uh, for about the last 20 years here at uh, Texas Sport and Spine. Man, I love doing my day job, so uh, that's basically what I do here on air, uh, coming to you on Docs and Jocks, answer a lot of those sports medicine questions that my patients also ask as well. Joined this week by Brandon Hawk. Brandon is the uh, longtime athletic trainer with the Texas Tech Red Raiders and the Dallas Cowboys. He is now the uh, producer of Docs and Jocks, who's filling in this week for the great Ferris Potter, the sports broadcaster from Grand Canyon University, who's typically my co-host, but Brandon's doing his best to try and fill those big shoes. Thanks for being on, Brandon. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and uh, we got a lot going on with the NFL, and uh, excited for the show. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on in the sports medicine world for sure, man. There is uh, always talking about, seems like right now with the NFL, with the Tom Savage story and the Russell Wilson story, which seems like they uh, just keep on bringing that up in the sports medicine uh, news nationally talk about the uh, fines and the lack of uh, fines that happened this year or this week uh, with those injuries. We're going to be talking to one of our guests coming up, Dr. Monroe Collum, and he is a neuropsychologist. He is at UT Southwestern, and he actually works with the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Stars working with their injured uh, athletes with regards to traumatic brain injuries. So we'll be able to t- ask Dr. Collum about some of those different types of injuries that occur and uh, what he does with those athletes. We'll be talking about those different kind of concussion-type injuries that are in the news this week as well. And then later on the show, we're going to have on the Director of Baseball Operations at the Forge Baseball Academy. That's where our show comes out of here in Abilene, Texas, if you're listening to us in an outside market. Uh, we're going to be talking to Coach Scotty Sanchez. I thought it would be a little fun to talk about some of the off-season uh, training that goes on uh, in young baseball players to try and get them healthy and try and make them better athletes but stay healthy during the off season. So we'll be talking to Monroe Collum and we'll be talking to Dr. or Scotty Sanchez. You'll like that I just uh, bumped him up to Dr. Sanchez. He'll also like a White Sox scout. Yes, Scotty Sanchez is a White Sox scout as well. So all that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Remember, you can contact us at docsandjocks.com or follow us on social media at uh, just Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. Love you to be part of our show that way as well. We'll be right back. What kind of fan goes to Buffalo Wild Wings this time of year? The true sports fan. The type of fan that knows there is no offseason. The type of fan that wants more sports. And guess what? Buffalo Wild Wings is all sports, all the time. True fans want more beer and more wings, too. And with more than 20 different sauces and seasonings, Buffalo Wild Wings has more flavors than ever before. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings really is the place for true fans. And that's the kind of fan we love. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. The Forge Training Facility, formerly D1, is the only sports training facility in West Texas that utilizes components of mental, physical, and spiritual training for adults and youth. With a wide variety of boot camps and strength classes throughout the day, our elite coaches will help you set and accomplish your goals. There is no better place or time to join. Come in or visit our website, theforgeabling.com, and get a one-week free trial. The Forge Abilene, where iron sharpens iron, changing lives one workout at a time. Sing! 
Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. Just tuning in for the first time. Want to find out more about our sports medicine radio show? You're welcome to do that at docsandjocks.com. D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Hawk, uh, my, my uh, co-host this week, is the uh, former athletic trainer for the Dallas Cowboys and Texas Red Raiders. Want to say a big shout-out to Firehouse Subs, Chad Fulkerson, our good friend, bringing in some uh, healthy, I think, under 500-calorie uh, lunches today. Man, i, I got to get a little bit better in my nutrition after <laughs> the uh, Christmas break. Man, I went home and visited my mom, and I tell you what, my nutritional program with my sports medicine uh, lifestyle has definitely been taking a hit. Well, well, you're definitely walking the walk because I got a sandwich, <laughs> which wasn't bad, but you hit it with the salad. I did. And uh, so you're walking the walk, so good job. Yep, thanks to Firehouse Subs, our good friends there as well. So, yeah, I can barely move today after my workout last night at the Forge Abilene. Oh, my gosh, we did like uh, 200 sit-ups and 200 leg lifts. So it's been a full onslaught of my belly that's had developed over Christmas. So it's been good to try and get back <laughs> in the swing of things. Hey, for all of you out there looking to do a New Year's resolution, this would be a great time if you want to try and get back in there and get healthy. This would be a great time to do it the Forge Abilene and you get a free trial Hawk is also the uh, general manager of the Forge Abilene so tell our members how they or our listeners how they can get a free week. Yeah absolutely just uh, come into our facility here where we're next to Buffalo Wild Wings between Buffalo Wild Wings and the Mall of Abilene get a free week trial also we're doing a thing for new members new members only uh, three months 240 so uh, yeah. you can't beat that for $80 a month. Oh, that's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. So, hey, we're, if you're listening in, a, in an outside market and you are thinking about getting in shape, man, this is the time to do it. This is a great time of the year. People are making lifestyle changes and trying to get back out and moving again. I'm just, I tell people all the time on the radio show, I feel like we are in an epidemic of weakness in our society. If you want to have a good quality of life, no matter what age you are, you have to be strong and especially being core stable. The most common cause of uh, back pain or the most common type of musculoskeletal injury is back pain, and the most common cause of that is an injury to a disc, and the most common treatment for that is long-term core stability, which also makes you a better athlete. So if you want a good rehab program and get with a good therapist, man, uh, we do that here at Exos Physical Therapy. We have some great trainers like Jeremy Carver and Brian and Jesse. So, man, it's a great time to start trying to get yourself back in shape and moving, and whatever that is, however you want to do it, pick the exercise that you like, find a group of like-minded people, and reward yourself every now and then, and you'll be more likely to do it. But time of the year to do that it, isn't it crazy dr dan like all these people are like have all these injuries and they're like looking for this like magic treatment like hey i found this i found that and mm-hmm. when it comes down to it it's like hey you need to get with the therapist you need to do core stability and they're like wait that wasn't the answer i was looking for i know it's very very difficult you and i do this on a on a daily basis i try and explain to people that my job is to help direct you towards a goal of trying to get uh, your core stronger so that you can be a better athlete, you can be a better overall qual, have a better overall quality of life. And people are like, wow, that's, that's just, yeah. that's not a quick fix for one. It takes time <laughs> to develop strength. It's not easy to do, and it doesn't feel good necessarily while you're doing it. But if you'll stick with it, it helps long-term. And trying to get people to understand that is a very, very difficult part of my, my job for sure. It's like anything in life, though, like, you know, med school, whatever it is, some big thing that even breaking down for yourself, college, for anybody, any big thing, it's not going to be easy going through it, but eventually it's going to pay off and you'll reap the reward. Yes, if you'll uh, really work on strengthening, work on core stability exercises, that is definitely the the long-term prevention of back pain is probably the most common thing that I see trying to get people involved in that core stability program. But people want results immediately. They want it just like, bam, they just want it. I want a pill, I want a shot, I want a surgery. And unfortunately... That's not always a quick fix, and it's not easy to do, and core stability isn't like that, so it's just yeah. hard to do it. But if you'll stick with it, remember, all you are in life is a box with four little pendulums, pendulums. hanging off of it. <laughs> if you'll stabilize the box, it makes sense while the other things you know, don't break down. So if you have, I saw a patient this morning, 
both the front of his knees hurt, his back hurt. He had terrible core stability. He'd only been focusing on his knees because his knees hurt him. And guess what? His knees weren't getting better. He'd had multiple surgeries, and he just was looking for the wrong answer. He just When I told him you need to start doing core stability, it just uh, seemed like too simple of an answer for him that it didn't make sense. He was looking for the next surgery, and that's very, very difficult to do. For our listening o- audience out there, I'm going to make a shirt that says, all we are life and the box for the little pendulums, and I'm going <laughs> to put a box with your pendulums, and I'm going to put Dr. Dan on it. So <laughs> yeah. if any of y'all want one of those, you send us a uh, request on Docs and Jones. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to take credit for that, but I heard a lecturer, uh, Dr. Laskowski was his name out of the Mayo Clinic. He used that analogy. And I just, ever since he did that, I'm like, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. We're a box with four little pendulums hanging off of it. When you stand on one pendulum and the box is resting on one pendulum, the box has to be steady or it wobbles. Yeah. So when your trunk or your core wobbles, it causes a lot of stress on your hips, your knees, your ankles, and especially your back. Yeah. So the stronger you are, the uh, more likely you are to get better. And, by the way, if you strengthen your core, it becomes a better athlete. So let's say you're a soccer player that has to be precise and accurate. You're a golfer that has to hit the ball the same, you know, direction every time. The stronger your core is, the more likely you are to be long-term accurate and precise. Even when you fatigue, if your core is still strong, you can do those things repetitively. And so that's one of the reasons it's a sport-specific program for every sport. Yes. Big core strength. I used to go around and do lectures when I was at St. Louis University, and that was the name of my lecture: the sports, the uh, exercise that is sport specific for every sport, and it's core, it's core strengthening. I mean, you know, exercises for your shoulder in soccer doesn't aren't really sport specific, right? Yes. But for core strength, for your core, it's every sport. There's yeah. no sport that doesn't use a core. We tried to figure this out one day: the sport that didn't use your core. I don't think we could figure one out. When, when, when video game meme, I guess, maybe. <laughs> yeah, don't video game. Yeah, is that an athletic <laughs> endeavor? I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, they'd show a poker on uh, ESPN, so maybe that's a sport, you know, but I, don't, I, I tend to disagree. I think it's a board game, but they always show it on ESPN for whatever reason. <laughs> hey, one of the big stories in the news this week that just broke is the, uh, if you haven't been listening to Docs and Jock, golly, man, the uh, head, head injury. We're going to have Dr. Monroe Coleman later, the Dallas Cowboys and Dallas Stars neuropsychologist, talking about some of these types of injuries. But the Texans have uh, will not face discipline for the Tom Savage concussion and the handling of that concussion. If you heard us talk about this a few weeks ago, I'll recap the story real quick. Tom Savage is the quarterback for the Houston Texans. He gets hit, and he goes down, and he has what's called a fencing posture or posturing, we call it, decorbate, decerebrate-type posturing. But it happens when you have a sudden uh, injury to the brain. You go into a posturing position. So it was obvious when you're watching the game that he had that. I said on air that the Texans had their neurotrauma specialist and independent specialist look at him. They did all the tests, yeah, and he passed all the tests. The protocol says if you have loss of consciousness, you're done for the game, but it doesn't talk about posturing. And so when he passed all the tests, guess what? He got to go back in the game. Yeah. He goes back in the game. He comes back in later. They retest him again. He doesn't pass the test, and they pulled him. So everybody was going off on the team physicians, the sports medicine team. And I said they follow the NFL's protocol yeah. for concussions, and they will let him go back in because he passed all the tests appropriately. And everybody was like, oh, but he had this, you know, obviously they didn't see him having the posturing. Well, yeah, yeah they did. They, they were aware that he'd had a brain injury because he came off and got the testing done. So I said, if you're mad at anybody, be mad at the protocol. Change the protocol if you don't like Absolutely. the protocol. So the, t- the NFL went through. They talked to all the team sports medicine team physicians. They talked to the sports medicine team, the athletic trainers, everyone who was involved, the independent neuro- neurologists that uh, evaluated Tom Savage on the sideline, allowed him to go back in. And they found that they had no discipline for him because they followed the protocol to the letter. So that was exactly what we said when everybody was going off on him on the national media, saying the physicians and the athletic trainers and nobody saw what happened and that they let him go back in inappropriately. No, that's not the case. Yeah. They let him go back in. Now, 
guess what? They're changing the protocol. Rule change. Rule change. The NFL is saying, hey, if we have posturing on the field, that's also going to be included, like loss of consciousness, as an immediate, you're done with that game event. So now we see the protocol has changed. But the hard part as a physician is you can get blasted by everybody, but you cannot respond because you know it's your patient. So yeah. you can't you can't respond because you're not you're you're under ethics not to be able to talk about your cases. So I was kind of taken up for the team physicians and the independent neurologists who followed the protocol directly, and they just got blasted in the national media, but they did everything right. So yeah, you know, Doctor Dan, I learned something from you today when you spoke about the. Just because we see something happen, you know, whether someone's having a seizure or someone's right. passing out, that's a subjective thing we see, so we automatically think, oh, that's real bad. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of symptoms and things with concussions that we actually don't see a subjective sign with. And go into that a little bit, how just because we don't see something or we do see something doesn't actually mean severity, but maybe the location of the injury. Yeah, we used to try and grade concussions. And what I meant by that was we tried to say, if we saw a loss of consciousness, we automatically assumed that was a higher grade of concussion. In other words, more damage was done to the brain. It's not necessarily true. Yeah. In fact, if you flip it around and say, if there is no objective, in other words, you don't have a, con you don't have a seizure, you don't have posturing, and you don't have loss of consciousness, therefore it's, a, it's only a mild injury, that isn't always the case. Yeah. If you've taken care of these athletes who had concussions, some of them don't have objective symptoms like loss of consciousness, seizures, posturing on the field, but they have long-term symptoms when you do neuropsychological testing on them. So you cannot just look at somebody and say just because you have posturing or because you have lost consciousness or you have seizures, that makes it a higher grade. It may involve what part of the brain was injured more than the severity of the injury. Yeah. Does that make sense? So part of your brain controls consciousness. So if that part of your brain is injured, then you're going to have loss of consciousness. Whereas part of your brain that doesn't carry consciousness, maybe your frontal lobe, you hit it and you're going to have more problems with um, emotional ability. In other words, crying in inappropriately or being agitated easier. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily just because you have injuries that cause the crowd at home to see that injury as severe, it, that doesn't really work out in your patient all the time. That's why we do the neuropsychological testing on the sidelines to try and see yeah. if we can find objective evidence of whatever was injured, how severe it is. Yeah, because that's that's even as an athletic trainer myself, you're really taught that. You're like, wow, if you see a, a fencing or posturing type response that, you know, that that is very serious and rather than that's just part of the area the brain that was affected you don't really know yeah. yeah and that was always the problem is we used to try and grade them and so sometimes you would send these guys back and you realize you know it was probably a more serious concussion even though we sent them back you know relatively soon i love the fact that now we just have a concussion in high school and college and i say it's definitely a concussion you have the you you test positive for a concussion you're done for the game. I don't yeah. have to grade it anymore, which is very, very difficult, which is what the NFL is trying to do, and they're still in that dilemma. And they get, they really have to rock in a hard place because they hold the guy out, and he doesn't – and he already passed the test. Like Tom Savage, we talked about this, then they're going to go crazy on him. If they yeah. – you know, they let him go back in, you know, then they – you know, the national media hammers you. But these guys, the Texans, Houston Texans, team physicians and independent uh, – neurotrauma specialists actually did the right thing yeah so give them kudos they took the brunt of the bullet from everybody hammering them but we're going to talk about the russell wilson case when you come back and what was passed out when that one what was found hey we'll be right back with more docs and jocks we're also going to be interviewing dr monroe column when we come back on your sports medicine radio show at first financial we're celebrating our first 125 years and we wouldn't be here without our customers 
So thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with your dreams. Thanks for your commercial business. And your personal business. Thank you for being part of our family. And making us part of yours. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Hey, Big Country Seniors. Did you know that a private Christian higher education is now more affordable than ever? The Hardin-Simmons University high school seniors from the Big Country are now eligible for a $40,000 scholarship. That's $10,000 a year towards your Hardin-Simmons education just for being a resident of one of the 24 Big Country counties. With personalized attention from your faculty, a great university community, and faith-centered preparation for all kinds of careers. Hardin-Simmons University. Why would you not consider HSU? What kind of fan goes to Buffalo Wild Wings this time of year? The true sports fan. The type of fan that knows there is no offseason. The type of fan that wants more sports. And guess what? Buffalo Wild Wings is all sports all the time. True fans want more beer and more wings, too. And with more than 20 different sauces and seasonings, Buffalo Wild Wings has more flavors than ever before. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings really is the place for true fans. And that's the kind of fan we love. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Since we opened our doors in 1890, First Financial has followed a simple philosophy. You first. It means we never forget who we really work for. That we know we're entrusted not only with your money, but your hopes and dreams. And it means that our most important asset is you, our customers. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. This week, my co-host is, he is filling in for the great Ferris Potter out in Phoenix, Arizona, but he is... Brandon Hawk. Hawk is our longtime producer of Docs and Jocks and uh, athletic trainer with the Dallas Cowboys and Texas Red Raiders for several years. And, uh, man, great to have you on today. I thought we'd finish up our talk on concussions. And by the way, Dr. Monroe Collum is going to come on in the next segment. Doctors, man, they get these crazy schedules and you got to take care of patients and always giving us the bump. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, how it feels. Yeah, listen, that's my day job. So, hey, I was, uh, we saw the injury with uh, Tom Savage, the quarterback for the Houston Texans, he, that team physician group, our team sports, sports medicine team, did not get disciplined for that one because they followed the protocol. But Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Seahawks team itself, they uh, actually get fined after Russell Wilson comes off the field uh, being a spotter. I think it was a referee actually said you need to go off yes. the field. He then goes off the field, and he's supposed to get evaluated. He goes in the tent for, like, what was he in there, like two <laughs> seconds maybe? Yeah. And then he pops back out because the uh, Seahawks needed him on the field, and he runs back out, and he doesn't go through the concussion protocol after being told that he needs to go off and get the concussion protocol. They get a $100,000 fine. They're the first team to be fined in the NFL for not following the NFL's concussion protocol guideline. In my opinion, and this is what I said several weeks ago, you go back and roll the tape, that that was much more of an egregious uh, incident than the Tom Savage one where yeah. they followed the protocol. He passed the test. He's allowed to go back in. Eventually doesn't pass the test and is pulled and doesn't play the rest of the game. Russell Wilson never got tested at all because this is the scenario I've talked about for years. 
as an athletic trainer and as a team physician, you and I have both been put in this situation. The player comes off. He does not want to be evaluated for concussion. Yes. He's telling you he doesn't have a concussion. He might be telling you that because he's concussed and he doesn't <laughs> know what he's talking about. You and I both had that situation. Yes. You talked about your Jason Witten situation. I've talked about several I've been through. Or they really don't have a concussion and their team needs them and they want to be back on the field and they don't want to go through the protocol. Yeah. Both of them are tough scenarios. I don't know why th- – this is my opinion again as a team physician – why the Seattle Seahawks were fined when Russell Wilson decided he was going to run back out on the field. What, what was what were they supposed to do? I mean, the sports medicine team, are you going to tackle your starting quarterback because he's running <laughs> back on the field? I'm, and I was jokingly, I said, whose job is it to tackle the dude? But this, I'm being dead serious now when I say this. This is the, something I learned from a uh, athletic trainer that I worked with for years, one of the best in the business. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Davis Stuckey at Harden-Simmons used to take their helmet. Yeah. The very first thing when he found out there was a potential concussion, he would take their helmet because you cannot run back on the field and play without a helmet. So he was in charge of when the player you know, went back on. So I feel like that was the breakdown. I think if the athletic yeah. trainer or someone on the sports medicine team, when they've been said, hey, there's a possible concussion, Russell Wilson, if the first thing they do is go take his helmet, even though he decided to go run back on the field, he can't do it without his helmet. So a little trick of the trade there. How, how do you think that uh, <coughs> meeting went in the tent for about two seconds? Do you think Russell Wilson went in and said, I'm good, Doc, and just popped back I, You know, I tried to read his lips, and he said something like, he said, let me back in, or I'm going back in, or something to that effect, because they needed him. They were all in, the, in the red zone, I think, and really needed him. It was an important part of the game. And that's always a tricky situation in a sports medicine position, too, is if it's the key player you're holding out. I always judge. I always, I've said this on air numerous times. The way I judge how important a player is to the team is how many people used to come and ask me, "Is he ready? Yeah. Is he good? What's the story?" If I had how many coaches, the number of coaches that came and asked us that while we're doing our evaluation determined, in my mind, how important that guy was. You know what's a quarterback? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not even 100 percent sure who the backup quarterback is. Maybe I could think for a little bit and come up with it. But could you spit it off at the top of no, your head? No. Yeah, and you know the Seahawks are in a must-win situation yeah. like the Cowboys were. And so each game is a playoff game, even that same game. And so they're at a crucial point in their season where they can't afford to not have Russell Wilson on the field. Yeah. It's easy in in football for me because I know who the quarterback is. I cover some other sports where I've been on the sidelines for, like, women's soccer and stuff like that. And that's when I can tell if it's the, really the key player or not. <laughs> when the yeah. coach is coming over, I'm like, oh, this must be the scorer, man. So, you know, <laughs> when that girl is the one everybody's coming over and checking on. And I remember one time I had one It was a shoulder injury for Harden-Simmons, and uh, they won the national championship that year. And they had the Division Three player of the year on their team. Uh, Katie was her first name, and she, she uh, got injured. And I remember everybody was coming over checking to make sure that she was ready to go back in. So I, I didn't know that she was that great. I mean, I knew she was good, but I didn't know yeah. she was the player. Do you, do you think that if the NFL was really serious, we talked about this before the show today, but do you think if the NFL was really serious, they would maybe suspend Russell Wilson for a game? Yeah, I think that's where you get because the problem wasn't with the team, in my opinion, or the sports medicine team. They were just walking over to get ready to do the evaluation when he sprinted back onto the field. You know, so I don't know why the team got fined other than yeah. do you call a timeout then? If, but how would your coach even know? You know, he just sees his player running back on the field. I'm not sure why the team was the one that got fined and not Russell Wilson being more or, or the combination of the two of them. Russell Wilson gets suspended for a game and, and Seahawks get fined. I'm not sure why the, only the team got fined $100,000. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me when, in my opinion, just watching it from an outsider's view. Yeah. I, I don't know where the team physician I – mean, I'm sorry, the sports medicine team broke down. They were coming to do the evaluation. They're getting him in the tent, right? Yeah. They were getting ready to do it when he decided to sprint out. So it wasn't like the Seattle Seahawks said, okay, 
don't do it, we need him, put him back in. I'm just telling you, I've seen numerous times of players wanting to go back in when they've been told they have to come out. Yeah, for, for different injuries, for multiple injuries. And like we talked about a long time ago, I mean, this rule is really the Case Keenum rule, as when he was with yeah. the uh, St. Louis Rams at the time. Yeah. They let him go back in after kind of just a mere evaluation. So, yeah. But it's uh, you never know what these guys are going to do. And when it comes down to winning, sometimes they sacrifice the medical medical tent. Talked about case. this last week. Uh, it's made my job much easier. I cover high school and colleges. I have right now a much easier job when it comes to concussions uh, on the field evaluation than the NFL guys. Yeah. Once I determine they're a concussed patient, they're done. And everyone knows it. Coaches know it. Players know it. Team positions know it. Athletic trainers know it. We're now done. And it's that's – so much easier in my world than what it used to be. So much easier. The NFL still has a hard job. Trying to determine how severe a concussion is on the field and whether they can return is a very difficult, dicey proposition at best. We're getting ready to talk to Dr. Monroe Collum, a neuropsychologist. They do extensive testing on the brain on someone who's had a traumatic brain injury to try and determine the severity. Yeah. I mean, extensive testing. You've got, you're in a situation where you've got a player on the field who is bound and determined to go back in doesn't want to talk to you in the first place who you're trying to do a short diagnostic neuropsychological battery test to on the field with mom dad coaches fans oh it's just difficult man it's just hard it's just very difficult to determine if there's a concussion or not and then trying to figure out the severity of it and can they go back in the nfl has a tough job dude yeah yeah it's uh it's like the guy we had You'll think of his name here in a second, but the Indianapolis Colts tied in the Super Bowl one. Yeah, tied in. Ben Utech. There you go. I knew you would know it. I think if a lot of guys would sit down and listen to his story, I think they would take it a little bit more serious. But these guys are so young in the prime of their careers. They're thinking about winning Super Bowls and all that that they're not even thinking about long-term. They're like, oh, it's just a concussion. It's just like a little knee bruise. Yeah. It'll be fine. And they don't understand the long-term effects. Yeah, you know, we were talking, to about the Kansas City Chiefs running back who was talking how severe his uh, – he believes he has CTE symptoms already. Yeah. And he was uh, – was it Jamar? Larry, Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson. He was talking about how severe it was. And the question was, would you do it again? And he said yes. Yes. Yeah, he would do it again. So, you know, it's – they love the game. They know what they signed up for. They know there's possible long-term ramifications. Some of these guys would say, I'd drop out if I knew I had CTE. Some of these guys said, I would do it all over again even if I had CTE. So interesting thing here, since the NFL supposedly is becoming soft, as some of the older players are saying, Vince McMahon of Vincent's World, the wrestling world, is supposedly coming, trying to make a comeback with the XFL, which is the Extreme Football League, which they were real big on vicious hits, just taking each other out. It lasted a year on CBS, but supposedly it's going to make a comeback. So this would be something to watch. Who's made a comeback? Uh, it's the XFL, the Extreme Football League. Extreme Football League? But yes. who's the player that's making a comeback? No, I'm just saying that Vince oh, McMahon, that the owner, yeah, 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 he's, yeah, he's yeah, wanting yeah, to bring yeah. that back because he's saying, hey, the NFL's soft if you want yeah, to see real hits with no rules. Yeah. Ooh, Would you like to be an athletic <laughs> trainer and the team doctor for an XFL team? Yeah, it's very, very difficult to try and figure out. Uh, where that line is. The problem as a team doctor is is my – it's not a problem. It's, it's just the fact <laughs> is I treat the individual, and I don't care who yeah. team what team they're for. My job is to do the best I can for that individual, do no harm to him, right? Yeah. So I always tell myself that because some of the teams I take care of, I've taken care of for almost two decades, some of these teams, and I'm a fan. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hard not to be. I know the coaches. Yeah. I know the players. I'm at every one of their games. I've, I've known the former coaches. I know their history. 
And it, by one of the schools is my alma mater. So, I mean, yeah. I, I'm a fan of the school, but I have to take that hat off, put my team physician hat on, and wear it when I'm making decisions about people's health. And therein lies my first obligation is that as a physician, I've taken an oath to do no harm to these guys. I'm not going to try and put someone back in a situation that I think could be detrimental to them. Yeah. So and, and it's not just for brain injuries. If you have everything. A, if you have a patient with a you know possible ACL and shoulder dislocation, shoulder, guy wanted I mean, to go back in the other day and had yeah. a shoulder dislocation. I'm like, no, you can't go back in. You're gonna your chance is too high of having re, re uh, you know dislocate, and then we're gonna have to have further problems and further damage down the road. So no, it's with a lot yeah. of injuries they don't want to come out. It's why in football, you are the least uh, <laughs> liked person during a game. And you've been on the sidelines. Yes. You know what it's like. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to talk to you as an athletic trainer. They definitely don't want to take, talk to you because if your athletic trainer takes you to the sports medicine team doctor, you know that he's saying it's more severe and there's a possibility that you may not return. So they don't want to even, like, make eye contact with you, much less, like, talk to you during the game. Yeah, that's why you need as many eyes in the sky or helpful eyes as possible because, mm-hmm. as you know, it, during a football game, it's very tough to find every single injury. When I've told this uh, on, the, on air as well. I have the worst seat in the house. For spotting injuries, yes, I can see them when they're close to me. But but I'm looking, I'm I'm on the sidelines with six foot four, three hundred pound males standing all around me, yeah. trying to watch a football game. You know, that's going on on a field that I'm now at eye level with. I have the worst seat. That's why football coaches have their offensive coordinators, defense coordinators up in the up in the air. You know, they're looking down because yeah. they can make many more judgments about what's going on in the field than I can on the sideline. Yeah, I have the worst worst spot in the house in some ways with regards to injuries. If it happens right in front of me, yeah, but not when it's on the other side of the field or f- across several layers of players that I'm looking through. Yeah, I wonder if you'll see the trickle-down from the NFL with these little spotters, injury spotters, into the college and high school ranks. Yeah. I don't know. You know, there's not a whole lot of money involved. I guess there are, is money involved in these big college programs. but Yeah, maybe college, but not into high school. I can't imagine. I mean, that'd be so difficult to have somebody there who's independently trying to spot for injuries. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. It'd be nice. It'd be a nice luxury. We spot for jersey numbers and all that on the field. I don't know why they couldn't spot for yeah. injuries. When I was at St. Louis University, I took care of – I had uh, 16 high schools that I was responsible for. And uh, when, before I came there, they didn't even have a physician on the sideline. I was the first one. And this was back in 2005. I was the first one to come to them and say, I'll have a physician on the sideline with you. Wow, that's so, yeah, scary. Yeah. So, I mean, Texas is a little bit different. We'll have multiple physicians at some of the games I'm at, different specialties. St. Louis was still in the era, and this is on the Illinois side of St. Louis, where they still didn't have any physicians at their games whatsoever. They had a team physician, but he didn't necessarily attend attend the games. Yeah, Wiley High School is very fortunate in this town. They yeah. have one of the most well-covered sports medicine teams I've ever seen. Well, I work with uh, Dr. Clifford Deprang, who's a sports medicine-trained orthopedist. I'm a sports medicine-trained physiatrist, which is a non-surgical sports medicine doctor who specializes in nothing but uh, musculoskeletal injuries. So we're both sports medicine fellowship trained. I have family physician uh, there with me that helps uh, one of two family physicians that usually comes that helps out with us. So, yeah, no, we have it covered. I always say we, we are like the MASH unit over there. So And then sometimes you all have an orthopedic spine surgeon. And yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's there then. sometimes, yeah, too, as well. So this is crazy. I, and I have no problem with it because I always say that uh, I like having more I always say the more help I have, the better, you know. So I'm, I'm not. Yeah. All, yeah. So it's, it's there's, there's a lot of good things that happen in Texas just because we've been doing this football thing a long time. But that was not always the case in other schools. We didn't have. They were just getting in uh, when I was playing football back in the '80s. They were just getting to where they had athletic trainers on the field. I didn't. I never played. I never had a game that I played with an athletic trainer on the field. Isn't that in, crazy? In high school. In high school. So who, who took care of the medical stuff? Our coach? football coach was a health teacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Mr. Hines! I loved Mr. Hines, but he has his medical training was he was a health teacher. I'll always think about back that. And then we had a uh, 
a student manager, and he would help us with equipment and stuff, and he would tape us up if we needed tape or something. But I had no athletic trainer on the field and no sports medicine doctor on the sidelines. There was no sports medicine doctor in my little hometown. So yeah. my family physician, if he got injured, would sometimes be in the stands, maybe, <laughs> if, he was, if his family was there or something. But what a long ways we've come now. Now we've got athletic trainers spotting in the sky and stuff. That's funny. You'll laugh at this because this is, seems how your high school experience was. But when I was in grad school, we would cover these small, small schools right outside of Lubbock. And you would go there for game, and some of the guys would already be taped up and be like, man, who taped that ankle? <laughs> and they're like, oh, my coach did it. You know, He's been doing it for a long time. And I'm like – He's been doing it for a long time. Like that's not good. It's not good at all. Yeah, Let's good. take that thing off. Yeah, <laughs> it was true. That's who did our uh, taping. We didn't have an athletic trainer doing our taping. Yeah. We had our coaches doing our taping. I'm like, why is this toe purple? I uh, know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. A, it's quite a different world. But I'm glad it's changed for the better as far as you yeah. know injury coverage and those types of things. But I do say that I'm going to give us kudos here on Docs and Jocks. We said two things. We said. Tom Savage incident, it's being blown out of proportion by the national media because these team physicians did what they were supposed to do according to the protocol. Yeah. We, were, we were vindicated. They did not get disciplined on that one. And Russell Wilson, I said, was a more egregious, in, more egregious act because he openly disobeyed the NFL protocol when concussions are the number one thing they're trying to decrease right now. And they, he went out uh, when they were supposed to be back you know, doing the medical tent evaluation on him, and he didn't allow that to happen. Yeah. Not sure why he didn't personally get a either a game suspension or a fine, but the team did. So sometimes, Hawk, here on Docs and Jocks, we get it right. And so as I think, of the, I think the learning moment of this, if you're watching a game, you can't always judge the severity of the traumatic brain injury by what you see on TV. That's a good lesson. Loss of consciousness, posturing. They're bad, but also the guys who don't have those things happen and have a traumatic brain injury can also be very, very severe. So a little uh, lesson here from Docs and Jocks. Hey, when we come back, we're talking to an expert in just this field, Dr. Monroe Collum, a neuropsychologist from UT Southwestern who takes care of the Dallas Cowboys and Dallas Stars. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. At First Financial, we're celebrating our first 125 years. And we wouldn't be here without our customers. So thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with your dreams. Thanks for your commercial business. And your personal business. Thank you for being part of our family. And making us part of yours. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Hey, Big Country Seniors. Did you know that a private Christian higher education is now more affordable than ever? At Hardin-Simmons University, high school seniors from the Big Country are now eligible for a $40,000 scholarship. That's $10,000 a year towards your Hardin-Simmons education just for being a resident of one of the 24 Big Country counties. With personalized attention from your faculty, a great university community, and faith-centered preparation for all kinds of careers. Hardin-Simmons University. Why would you not consider HSU? What kind of fan goes to Buffalo Wild Wings this time of year? The true sports fan. The type of fan that knows there is no offseason. The type of fan that wants more sports. And guess what? Buffalo Wild Wings is all sports all the time. True fans want more beer and more wings, too. And with more than 20 different sauces and seasonings, Buffalo Wild Wings has more flavors than ever before. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings really is the place for true fans. And that's the kind of fan we love. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Since we opened our doors in 1890, First Financial has followed a simple philosophy. You first. It means we never forget who we really work for. That we know we're entrusted not only with your money, but your hopes and dreams. And it means that our most important asset is you, our customers. 
we wouldn't be where we are without you. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. You're listening to your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Great to have you joining us today. Hey, remember, you can listen to any show on your, just go to your iTunes app and uh, listen to a podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and you can subscribe to us, listen to us anytime, anywhere. Joined this week with my co-host, Brandon Hawk. He's a former uh, assistant athletic trainer with the Dallas Cowboys and with the Texas Tech Red Raiders here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, Hawk, we have on, uh, very honored to have on a great guest today. It's perfect timing with what we've been talking about with the injury to two uh, the concussions to Thomas uh, Savage and uh, Russell Wilson. So we have on Dr. Monroe Collum. He's the chief of neuropsychology at UT Southwestern. Dr. Collum, thank you so much for being on Docs and Jocks. Happy to be here. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, it's perfect timing. We've been talking about the NFL, and you help with the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Stars taking care of their injuries with regards to neuropsychology. So if for our listening audience who maybe isn't familiar with the field of a neuropsychology or neuropsychologist, what they do, tell us what exactly you do. Yes, so uh, neuropsychology is involved with the assessment of, of brain function, basically. We look at um, specific measures of cognition, so we do tests of memory, attention, concentration, uh, reasoning, problem solving, uh, to evaluate how the brain is doing, basically. Right, and so when we're talking about these injuries we see in the NFL right now, we see a guy like Tom Savage and Russell Wilson having these potential concussions. Oftentimes we try and, uh, you know, we listen to these uh, people talking about these injuries. They try and grade them if they had loss of consciousness or if they have some of the posturing that we see on these players. But really, in your field, you can see traumatic brain injuries of all levels, but really all of them are an insult to the brain, and you help try and figure out how severe they are. Is that correct? That is, that is one of our jobs, yes, in helping to determine when somebody's actually back to normal, too. Right, exactly. And talk about how you work with a team. I know that when I was at UT Southwestern and working with great neuropsychologists like yourself, there was a, really a team. You had neurologists you worked with, physiatrists, psychiatrists, neurosurgeons. And so when someone comes in with a severe traumatic brain injury, tell us that team approach that you all have. Well, with the severe injuries, yes, it is a complete team approach. Uh, they're admitted by the hospital physicians, typically a physiatrist uh, overseeing the case, and then utilizing uh, all the other uh, groups as part of a treatment team and also as a uh, referrals uh, as needed, consults as needed. For example, if there's big problems with headaches, we have a, a, one of our neurologists specializes in that. Uh, if there are uh, cognitive issues, the neuropsychologist uh, comes in, also may assist with behavioral problems. The psychiatry is consulted as needed uh, when there are emotional mood symptoms, uh, either on behalf of the, uh, of the patient as they recover, or also uh, assisting with the family as well. Right. Hey, Dr. Collum, I was going to ask you, you know, neuropsychology to the just listening audience is a big, big word. So kind of break down maybe to like some of your background, how you've got into the field of neuropsychology. Sure. So neuropsychology is really uh, typically a subset of clinical psychology. 
kind of merges aspects of uh, training in behavioral neurology with more traditional clinical psychology. From psychology, we get our assessment-based uh, in, uh, interests. Uh, so that's where the tests come in, tests of memory or attention concentration and whatnot. And then from the neurology side, we get our interest in in, uh, in brain function. So instead of going uh, pre-med back in, in college, I went the uh, more traditional psychology route. And then in graduate school, I obtained my PhD in clinical psychology and sort of specialized in neuropsychology, working with a, a terrific neuropsychologist at uh, UT Austin years ago. Uh, and then there's postdoctoral training after you get your PhD, and that's where the specialization really occurs. So it's typically a two-year postdoctoral fellowship uh, training specifically in neuropsychology. And within neuropsychology, there are many, many things uh, that neuropsychologists do. We work with essentially any type of individual with uh, uh, suspected or known brain injury or cognitive dysfunction. So head injury is a big part of that, as is aging and dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and strokes, and any, or any, really anything that can affect the brain, the brain behavior and cognition. Hey, we're talking to Dr. Monroe Collum here, the chief of uh, neuropsychology at uh, UT Southwestern, works for the Dallas Cowboys and the uh, Dallas Stars. So for our listening audience, Dr. Collins, kind of break it down. We're a sports medicine radio show here, so I know this is a huge question. There's lots of different things that happen, but kind of break it down when you see a football player and they have a traumatic brain injury. Maybe they've had a loss of consciousness. They're on the field. They've had that traumatic brain injury. What happened to the brain that causes that? Well, so it, it, it's caused by a, 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 some sort of forces to the brain. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hit to the head per se. It could be hit to the upper body, but the, the brain is like uh, kind of like thick jello sitting within the skull. And when it gets uh, moved around and it speeds up and slows down quickly, uh, such as in the result of a, of a hit or a fall or a blow, the brain jostles around. And being sort of uh, like jello or gelatinous, it, it, the fibers within the brain get stretched. Uh, some of the rotational injuries, the rotational hits we see when the head is uh, turned rapidly to a side, the brain actually uh, is made up of, of course, billions of neurons. Uh, the cortex is the outer lining of the brain, uh, outer surface of the brain, and that can get twisted uh, during a rotational injury, and that twists actually on some of the lower brain centers that are responsible for consciousness. So if a, if a, if a blow is significant enough, a loss of consciousness can occur, which is uh, often quite obvious uh, if you're watching a game on TV, for yeah. example. But 90% of concussions occur without uh, an observable loss of consciousness. So right. it's actually, it can be a tough thing to actually spot. Right, absolutely. And now, at least in the NFL, there's some help with uh, whether it's the referees or the athletic trainers in the, you know, in the sky looking down trying to spot some of those injuries. So it at least gives a sports medicine team some help. When you see the player going over to the sideline and now they do it in a tent and they're give, being given some tests by whether it's an independent neurotrauma specialist or by other physicians, tell us what those tests are looking for and why they're administered. Yes, yeah, so that, that's really that's at the screening stage. So they're right. just looking for gross neurologic signs. So they're looking for uh, any uh, abnormal eye movements, uh, whether that be uh, the eyes moving back and forth, are the pupils constricting normally uh, when uh, light is placed upon them, uh, are the pupils symmetric? Uh, they're also looking at uh, quick tests of balance to see if there's gross coordination problems. They'll also ask them uh, a, a handful of cognitive questions. They might, might be a really brief memory test. There's a, uh, there's a, a sideline assessment tool that's called the SCAT now in its fifth edition. Uh, and the, in the tent, they'll typically do a, a few pieces of that. 
Uh, if there are more concerns, they might go through the whole protocol, uh, and then they'll make a determination as to whether the person seems to, you know, be demonstrating signs of concussion right then and there. Another important part of this, though, is is the uh, the athlete's reported symptoms at the time too, the, uh, the observable behaviors, uh, and as well as how are they feeling? Are they feeling fuzzy? Are they feeling nauseous? Are they are they reporting balance problems, etc.? So it's really trying to do a, a, an assessment in those cognitive, physical, uh, and also emotional domains in, in a really brief fashion to see if there's any evidence of of obvious impairment at that stage. Hey, Dr. Colm, when we're talking return-to-play protocol here, when, when you're looking at an athlete or a patient, uh, are, you, are you going off something previously, or are all your patients that you get, you have a baseline or you don't? So what are you looking at in terms of return-to-play? Uh, that's a great question, and it really depends on the setting. So if, if I'm dealing with an NFL player or NHL player, I've got baseline testing uh, on them. So we can use not only their performance on the test compared to others, their similar age, education, and whatnot, to help us see what scores are within or outside of normal limits, but we have a baseline to compare them with their own uh, you know, pre-concussive uh, performance as well, which is just an, an, another thing that kind of helps us in, interpret some of the results uh, in some cases. Now, a, a lot of uh, people obviously have not gone, undergone baseline testing for, you know, for whatever reason, so those we have to rely more upon their uh, presenting symptoms and their, the profile that they, that they demonstrate on these tests of attention, concentration, and memory that we actually do. Uh, and then we track them over time and uh, advise them on uh, sort of, you know, things to do during recovery also. You know, we're talking to Dr. Monroe Collins here with neuropsychology at UT Southwestern. And Dr. Collins, uh, one of the things that we hear about in the NFL now is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, often referred to as CTE. For our listening audience, kind of describe what CT is and uh, who might get it. So uh, CTE has been recognized since the early 1900s, uh, first in, in boxers. The so-called punch-drunk syndrome uh, was relating to that. But CTE is a pathological condition of the brain wherein certain brain proteins uh, aggregate or, or, or cluster together in an abnormal fashion. Um, there's actually no clinical diagnosis of CTE at this point. Um, it's just a, a uh, post-mortem, i.e., you have to have a, a brain specimen to, uh, to actually diagnose it. Um, so it, it's really a pathological diagnosis at this point. The, the, the findings have been in, in people, uh, have been in a lot of folks that have a history of brain trauma, but there's really not a lot known about who is at risk for this, and we don't actually know exactly what causes it. Wow. Interesting. Hey, Dr. Colm, I was going to ask you, you mentioned that CTE testing is done post-mortem. There's been some rumblings about testing for CTE with living patients. Do you think that has any tread or any validity? Well, I, I think we're in the early stages. Uh, there, there are scans, uh, there are brain scans that uh, will uh, um, image uh, the protein in the brain called tau that can, tends to be characteristic in the pathological specimens that we see uh, after death. Uh, that imaging technology is really in its infancy. Uh, there's only been, uh, you know, a few cases done. Uh, there, were, there was one publicized not too long ago where they had, uh, had suspected a clinical diagnosis uh, of CTE in life, and then it was confirmed at pathology. Uh, that's a sample of one. Uh, so there's, we have a ways to go. 
The other thing is that tau, this protein that builds up in the brain in CTE, uh, is also found in a lot of other disorders. So it's really, really important to uh, to do very, very careful case histories and studies of individuals uh, suspected and not suspected of having it uh, before we're going to really uh, know too much about it. Um, the the press uh, is big on uh, some of the big impact stories of, you know, all these brains from the retired NFL players. Well, what they haven't done is looked at uh, really a representative sample of former NFL players. So we actually don't even know the frequency uh, of that disorder. Wow. And Dr. Cullum, you know, you deal with some of the greatest athletes in the world, whether they're Dallas Cowboys or NHL stars, you know, and, and so you're seeing this representation of people who live and make their living off of playing football and traumatic brain injury. They're part of that game. What do you? Uh, is there a difference between maybe the you know the younger brain, these kids who are playing Pop Warner football? Is there a difference between the pediatric brain and the adult brain when it comes to traumatic brain injury? Absolutely, the the younger brain is is a lot more vulnerable uh, to uh, to hits to to concussion, um, and uh, probably needs to be protected uh, a little bit more than the adult brain. Uh, we know that kids take longer longer to recover from concussion. Uh, in some samples, uh, females take longer to recover than males, given a similar injury. Um, the uh, recovery rates for co- collegiate and, and professionals are, are, are pretty similar, but high school takes longer than middle school, which takes longer than, than younger players also. So wow. there are def- definite differences. Right. Hey, Dr. Colm, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You mentioned the treatment or the rehabilitation of concussions. What are some things that you're doing today that are maybe on the cutting edge or some new things you're seeing that are you're having success with in rehab? Well, so the uh, there's always a, a pendulum uh, that swings on these things. You know, years and years ago, if you had a concussion, it was it was no big deal, right? You know, it'd yeah. be like, uh, "Hey, Joe, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> Are you fine? Go back in." Right. And, and, and now, we're fortunately, uh, we've we've moved beyond that, and concussion awareness is is at an all time high now. Uh, but the treatment aspect has been lagging significantly behind that. Um, for example, even just a few years ago, there's still the the old. Uh, I still hear this from some patients sometimes. That, well, you know, of course, we'll want to wake them up every hour when they're asleep. And it's like, well, no, then you'll have an irritable patient, and there's no reason to do that. <laughs> um, you know, um, and also it can go too far the other way in terms of, so rest is the number one treatment, if you will, for concussion symptoms. Uh, but it is a symptom-by-symptom treatment issue. So if you've got a headache, treating those symptoms of headache are very important, whether that be by medications, you know, cold compresses, whatever seems to help the individual. But no two concussions are alike. So if, if, you and, if the three of us all got hit with the same exact uh, force, the same exact thing today, I might be still dizzy tomorrow, and one of you might uh, be totally fine, and, and the other might have a headache tomorrow. Uh, so our symptoms may differ. Um, and for, the, for a while, there was a period where people thought, we really have to arrest these kids a long time, like take all electronics away from them. Don't let them talk to their friends. Don't let them go to school. Let's keep them out of school. Well, we now know that actually too much rest may be a bad thing. Wow. Um, I know. I know. Uh, you know. If if I were to look back on my son when he was an adolescent, if we had, you know, locked him in his room essentially and said, "You're not seeing anybody. You're not talking to anybody. No video games. No TV. Nothing." And I, if I did that for a week, I'm going to have a really <laughs> irritable young man uh, to deal with. And yet, and yet, irritability and depression are some of the symptoms of concussion. Right. Right. So that can actually uh, we can get a false sense of what is still a concussion-related symptom, 
if we've rested them too much, actually. So we now know that getting them back to their normal routine well, in as reasonably quick quick uh, a manner as possible, after a couple of days of rest, is probably the best way to go. And, and we actually have adopted the protocols that the NFL and the NHL use, which are the graded return-to-play protocols. So right. you start back, uh, once they're feeling better, they're asymptomatic, you begin with some light exercise. And if that doesn't produce or worsen symptoms, you keep stepping that up and, and, and so on. You add more and more things uh, to their repertoire to get them back to normal. Right. Hey, we've been talking Dr. Monroe Collins. Dr. Collins, man, thank you so much for coming on Docs and Jocks. We truly appreciate those in the field that are trying to make the game that we love safe enough that these guys can go through the game and not have long-term uh, consequences from it. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing in the field of brain injuries. We'll have to have you on again real soon. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, we'll be back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. At First Financial, we're celebrating our first 125 years. And we wouldn't be here without our customers. So thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with your dreams. Thanks for your commercial business. And your personal business. Thank you for being part of our family. And making us part of yours. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Hey, Big Country Seniors. Did you know that a private Christian higher education is now more affordable than ever? At Hardin-Simmons University, high school seniors from the Big Country are now eligible for a $40,000 scholarship. That's $10,000 a year towards your Hardin-Simmons education just for being a resident of one of the 24 Big Country counties. With personalized attention from your faculty, a great university community, and faith-centered preparation for all kinds of careers. Hardin-Simmons University. Why would you not consider HSU? What kind of fan goes to Buffalo Wild Wings this time of year? The true sports fan. The type of fan that knows there is no offseason. The type of fan that wants more sports. And guess what? Buffalo Wild Wings is all sports all the time. True fans want more beer and more wings, too. And with more than 20 different sauces and seasonings, Buffalo Wild Wings has more flavors than ever before. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings really is the place for true fans. And that's the kind of fan we love. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Since we opened our doors in 1890, First Financial has followed a simple philosophy. You first. It means we never forget who we really work for. That we know we're entrusted not only with your money, but your hopes and dreams. And it means that our most important asset is you, our customers. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, your sports medicine physician, bringing your sports medicine radio show. We're coming to you out of the Forge Abilene, the sports training facility that our studio sits in, and joined this week by Brandon Hawk. Hawk is my long-term general manager and producer of Docs and Jocks. Man, it's been a fun show. I really enjoyed that interview with Dr. Collum. I think a couple of the things that we can take away from talking about you know, he is the expert at UT Southwestern with uh, neuropsychology dealing with these types of injuries is that when you have a head injury, every injury is unique. That if you three people in a room have the exact same concussive blow, our symptoms are going to be different. It's why I can interview a guy like Jerry Don Logan, who was a safety for the uh, Baltimore Colts back in the day when they wore single face masks and <laughs> hit each other. You know, it was a vicious game. And 
he doesn't have what appears to be any sequela when you interview him. You know, he's yeah. in his 70s now. Uh, from playing in the NFL for over, you know, nearly into a second decade. Yeah. And then you'll have other guys that say, man, I just played, you know, six years in the NFL like uh, Johnson did, and he's having, you know, what he feels like is severe chronic traumatic encephalopathy type symptoms, you know, bad head injury type symptoms. I shouldn't say CTE because you can't diagnose that until after your postmortem. But, you know, it's, it's, it does make a difference. Every brain's different. And I think that's the key. If we can find out who is susceptible yeah. to these types of injuries because some brains are and some brains aren't, but every one of them is unique. I like, I like what he said, Dr. Colm, in that interview. He said, um, you know, even though the cases that we've seen with the CT that the University of Boston is doing, it hasn't been a very big uh, swath yeah, yeah. Of, of all the players of the past. So it's just a select few, a couple big names here and there, but really it's not the entire sample that – that they need to actually say, hey, this is a real thing. So I thought that was interesting because I've always wondered that, like, how come every single player is not coming back and saying, I had, I probably had CTI, that you only hear a select few amount of cases. Yeah, it's, it's because you have to have a tremendous amount of injuries and then evaluate them all because, you know, you fall into this trap, too, that CTE is like this boogeyman that every symptom you have <laughs> after football is due to traumatic brain injury, which I'm not downplaying traumatic brain injury, but at the same time, you know, is it truly the cause of everybody's problems when they finish football? And the, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Some of them are due to CTE and some of them aren't. But, yeah, that was a very good poignant point, too, that he made that he said, you know, you can overrest Because back when I was doing uh, physiatry where my field deals with traumatic brain injuries, we do the inpatient rehab for them, that a lot of times we'd be put them in a quiet room, yeah. very few outside stimuli, really let the brain rest, try and wake it up. But if you do that to an adolescent, like he said, you get an irritable adolescent. Maybe, maybe not do the traumatic brain injury. Maybe because you took his phone, his TV, his video, his video games all away from him and sat him in a room by himself for a week. <laughs> yeah, you know, Doctor Dan, I was a part of the uh, the great Mike Leach uh, concussion. Uh, oh no, the debacle! Out, you know, yeah. and tell that story Coach, for our listeners. Co- for those who don't know, we had a involved. we had an athlete. I guess it's all public knowledge now. So Adam James, son of former SMU great Craig James, but uh, he uh, he claims he had a concussion. We don't know if he did or not. It was very subjective, and uh, he, uh, Coach Leach, uh, you know, would take everyone who's injured or concussion and have them do light uh, workup, pretty much exactly what yeah, Dr. What Colin saying, was saying. Right. And uh, he decided, you know, everyone still had to get in their their uh, athletic clothes, dress up. So he Adam decided to come out in his own gear that day, his oh. jeans and his Ray-Bans and everything. So, you know, Dr. Mike Leach said, <laughs> oh, well, no. they've told me that uh, if – people have concussions they need to be in a dark room and so uh let's put them in a dark room and the closest thing was a shed with oh. uh which i mean you've probably slept in worse yeah to be honest but uh yeah you know obviously ended up getting the guy fired and uh yeah, that's the rest how you history. leave texas tech but he he took the advice of doctors and said hey c- concussion patient needs to be in a dark room let's put them right there close to us on the oh, field so yeah. oh, my <laughs> oh my goodness man yeah uh, at least was a character for sure but yeah yeah but too much rest is a bad thing i learned that from him and that every unique every injury is unique I'm, i know that from my years of being a sports medicine doctor myself we'll see one concussion you think oh that's minor and it ends up lasting for months and you'll have another one the guy had a ter- terrible injury on the field he oh, lost consciousness he's out and they like clear up immediately it's just yeah. so bizarre the uh, human brain is just so intricate and so uh, you know, involved in so many different aspects of how you think and move and um, your emotions that everything's involved right there in the brain. That's just so difficult to tell at all. And a lot of your symptoms are like an inner ear symptom. I had an ear, nose, and throat doctor who was a 
neuro-otolaryngologist, if that's, uh, I mean, I had t- took me like eight years to learn how to say all that, <laughs> especially him going to school. But he thought a lot of the injury, traumatic brain injury, had to deal with the inner ear because those semicircular canals, which yeah. tell you where your balance are, those rocks get knocked out of place called otolis, and that was a lot of the symptoms you're having. So, yeah. so many things happen. Oh, it's hard to figure it all out. Now trying to figure out whether or not you hold people out or don't hold them out. The NFL has a tough job for sure. Yeah, we had a player with the Cowboys uh, one day. He was having some uh, head symptoms is what he called them. And uh, he's like, yeah, uh, I don't have a concussion. And he goes, I have an inner ear uh, crystal issue. And yeah. so I'm seeing a different physician for that. And I was like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought he got off the deep end. It's probably the same physician we're talking about. That guy's the guy that says that traumatic brain injury is just an inner ear problem mainly. So yeah. probably the same guy. Hey, speaking of which, using your own guy, this I thought this would be good for you and I to talk about because uh, you and I have both experienced this. But Tom Brady's personal trainer, and that's what he calls him, Alex Guerrero, uh, he lost his team privileges. Uh, Bill Belichick, uh, Coach Belichick, comes down and says, hey, we're not having this guy treating all our team. He's not going to be allowed on the sideline. He's not going to be allowed to be in our training room. And so uh, you and I can talk about our experience as a team. It maybe seem harsh, like, well, why can't Tom Brady see who he wants to see? How come he, this guy can't be in the training room? But if you, from an athletic training standpoint, being with the Dallas Cowboys, Texas Red Raiders, and me being in a team physician, I can just tell you when you bring another piece in, to that team medicine or team physician group or that team sports medicine physician group it now makes it difficult to communicate because when you have someone who's not part of your team and you haven't been using them as part of your team and you're having to report injuries to the coach you're having to take care of these athletes suddenly they're off somewhere doing something with somebody else yeah that isn't part of your team it just throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. It's hard to explain it unless you've been in a business where if suddenly someone from the outside injected themselves into your business and yeah. then suddenly now you just lose communication, breaks down, you're not sure who's treating them, you're not sure exactly how to communicate the injury to the head coach if you're the head trainer. Tell us about throwing the monkey wrench in when someone from the outside comes in because you had a similar experience with the yeah, Cowboys. Yeah, absolutely. When I was with the Cowboys, you know, we had a guy, I guess he had his chiropractic license once taken away from him. Supposedly he got it back. Who knows? Uh, but anyways, he was he he had all these uh, just like voodoo treatments. I don't know what they were to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, they may work, they may not. You don't yeah. know. But it was just different. Than yeah, what, you know, you he don't was know. selling something different. And instead of coming to us and saying, "Hey, I'd like to contribute. I'd love to help players," uh, you know, he kind of went around the backs of the sports medicine team. Which, uh, for the listening audience, the head athletic trainer, the head of the sports medicine team, he is reporting to the coach. Right. The team doctor is obviously when it comes to medical things is over that head athletic trainer. But in, as far as day-to-day communication with the head coach, the head athletic trainer is responsible for that. So if he doesn't know what's exactly. going on outside, he can't report to them. And uh, we see this lately here with Tom Brady and his guy, uh, but it's Alex Guerrero. It's it's the same thing. You know, when you have people that are outside the sports medicine team treating these players, and which you want them to get better. If someone has something better to get your guy better to get him on the field that's what we all want right but we all just have to stay in communication with it so i think it's just a valuable lesson for you know anybody that wants to help a player like and they're not on the sports medicine team 
communicate to those guys like hey so and so this that way everyone's on the same page then everyone feels good about it and you're not trying to stab each other in the back yeah once uh, someone comes in from the outside and they're not part of the team and they're doing their own thing with the players you don't know about oh my gosh it gets crazy and it happens quite often in the in the sports best world because guys want to see maybe their guy you know tom brady likes this guy that he wants to be around and treat him but just telling you it just makes it difficult and another thing dr dan there was i remember we get phone calls all the time like hey i want to fix tony romo's (laughs) real exactly and so jim mauer our head athletic trainer one of the best in the business he goes well what about joe blow over here that's our special teams guy he's our gunner you don't want to he's got a bad hamstring you don't want to fix him and he's you know (laughs) so all these people wanted to fix the the top guy and he's like you know every 53 50 all 53 of these guys are important we want you to bring something to fix all 53 of not just one yeah and it is true too you get hammered with all the uh special treatments that people have invented or suddenly come up with that they will come to the Cowboys and say, I want to use this tool on your guys. Yeah. So you get you get that all the time, whether it's a medicine, whether it's a cream, yeah. whether it's a magnet, whether it's a e-stem, everybody's <laughs> wanting to try it out. So these Cowboys, the team uh, physician, the team athletic trainer, the sports medicine team as a whole gets hit pretty hard by all these guys. Yeah, and I'm sure you as a physician, you know, over your career have been hit with you know, I have this magic laser that you can use in your clinic. I have this new medicine that's better than the ones everyone else is buying, but you don't know why no one else is buying them. <laughs> and you have all these creams, the magic cream. They don't even, you know, it's just it's just crazy. I'm sure you've seen so much of them in your 20-plus years. I tend of, to be jump on the bandwagon a little slower than everybody else. I want to see what happens with the first guys that jump on <laughs> <laughs> and see how their patients do because I don't want to be the very first guy on. So I've been a little slow to some of the treatments to start, like we talked about PRP. I was a little bit slow on that because platelet-rich plasma injections were real popular in sports medicine, but I wanted to see how it panned out. Studies are looking good. So then I get on. Once the studies come out and say we looked at a large population, we had a double-blinded, randomized, controlled study that looked at this treatment versus a placebo, and it worked out better. And then I'm like, okay, let's try this on our patients. It seems safe. You know, Dr. Dan, why do you think uh, a lot of these treatments, we're seeing a lot of these professional players going over to Europe for the – uh, all these different stem cell treatments and all such. What do you what do you think about all that? You think they're ahead of us, or sometimes yes, but they've also sometimes go over on these other treatments and they end up being no more effective than placebo or nothing. Yeah. So occasionally, though, you'll get guys that go over because it hasn't been approved in the U.S. yet. The studies haven't come out. Just feel like the FDA is going to approve it, and so they'll go over and they'll try these things. And lo and behold, they do get approved eventually, and they are working. And so, you know, there's good and there's bad. If if I'm a patient, remember. Let's go back to one of the interviews we had earlier on Docs and Jocks. So Tommy John, who yeah. we've all heard of Tommy John surgery, it's a very good surgery for someone who ruptures their ulnar collateral ligament, right, on yeah. the inside of their elbow. But remember, when we interviewed Tommy John, he's like, that surgery wasn't around when I injured my, in, my elbow. I went to Dr. Frank Job and said, look, my career's done. Let's just try it. Yeah. So Dr. Job had to do a surgery that worked. For the very first time, someone has to be the guy that says, I'm going to try it. Yeah. So, yes, sometimes these treatments do work. These surgeries do work. And, by the way, sometimes they don't. So <laughs> you've got to figure that out. And the way we figure that out is, is there's a scientific method to it where we take studies and look at athletes. We look at does this treatment work if you look at it, if, you have it, if you're blinded to the results and what you're using and it's controlled and randomized to who gets it and who doesn't, and the study works, then great, man. I'm all yeah. for it. But, yeah, athletes going over and trying new things can be dangerous sometimes, right? But isn't that interesting, though? Like, some people that want to go try something else, they want to come back and, like, put it in your face. Like, no. And, like, they say, look, it worked. You're like, here's the thing. Like, I want you to get better. Like, if that worked for you, great. 
But they, but they almost like want to be like, see, look, it worked. This yeah. crazy thing worked. <laughs> Here's the one I get in my world. I see a lot of back pain. I yeah. see a lot of people, uh, young people with back pain. Well, the natural course of someone who has an annular tear or, or disc tear, the natural course is they get better over time. You know, it hurts really bad, and then it kind of does a yo-yo course, good and bad, good and bad. So what happens is if you're in that early stage and your back's killing you and you go see, if you come see me, guess what? Most of the time, you're going to get better. If you go see another practitioner, guess what? Most of the time, you get better. If you go see a massage therapist, you go see a physical therapist, you go see your family doctor, guess what? Most of the time, it gets better. So whoever that person saw, they attribute them getting better to whatever that the person they saw because that's what they did. Yeah. When, when in reality is, it gets better no matter what most of the time. Yeah. So you got to be really careful saying, I did this treatment and I got better because you don't know what the natural history of yeah. that injury is. Yeah. So that's why we do studies to look at see what really helps long-term. That's why when I say someone has back injury, has a, a tear in their disc, I tell them to do a core stability program because if they do a core stability program, most of the time long-term they do better than, and it doesn't reoccur. So that's from long-term studies of looking at that. So there's yeah. a... There's a method to my madness. I'm trying to help people with, like, an annular tear in their back and back pain, saying, hey, this is what's been shown to help in long-term studies. This is what we need to, to trend to go to. Yeah. And if people uh, want to try it, great. But other people try things gimmicky that work because, guess what? It gets better on its own. Time anyway. heals all Time ones. heals that one. <laughs> most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. So, anyway, it's, it's really interesting, yeah, the world of what works and what doesn't, especially in the sports medicine world because everybody's looking on an edge because they want to get their athlete back on the field first. They want to have the quickest rec- result, a recovery from a hamstring injury, from an ankle injury that are very, very common injuries. Because if they can get them back a week faster, that's a week their team has a better chance of winning and everybody has a chance of keeping their job. That player still gets a paycheck for playing in that game. So yeah. it's a lot of good things that happen. You just got to be careful not to do more harm if, it, if what you're doing to them hasn't been shown to be scientifically helpful. Absolutely. Yep. Hey, when we come back, we're going to have on the director of the baseball operations at the Forge Baseball Academy, longtime 20-year head baseball coach Scotty Sanchez, also a scout for the White Sox, uh, Chicago White Sox. We'll have him talking a little off-season baseball rehab and training. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after the short commercial break. As the new year approaches, many will be making New Year's resolutions. For the serious athletes, this may include wanting to work harder at their sport or maybe reaching certain performance goals. As we know, mental strength and toughness is extremely important in an athlete with high aspirations. But what about the average person just wanting to lose weight or maybe get into better shape? I absolutely believe that many of the same mental attributes an elite athlete possesses to reach his goals are necessary for an average person to reach his, even though these goals are very different. As Dr. Dan states regularly on Docs and Jocks, if you want to get into shape and change your lifestyle for the better, you have to find something you enjoy doing and then stick with it. If the exercise you choose is not something you enjoy, you probably will not persevere. However, if you're doing physical activity that you enjoy, it is much easier to make it a habit and to stick with it on the hard days and the days you don't feel like doing it. This is where mental toughness comes in. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about mental toughness and how to persevere, you can reach the edge mental strength training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. At First Financial, we're celebrating our first 125 years. And we wouldn't be here without our customers. So thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with your dreams. Thanks for your commercial business. And your personal business. Thank you for being part of our family. And making us part of yours. 
thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Hey, Big Country Seniors. Did you know that a private Christian higher education is now more affordable than ever? At Hardin-Simmons University, high school seniors from the Big Country are now eligible for a $40,000 scholarship. That's $10,000 a year towards your Hardin-Simmons education just for being a resident of one of the 24 Big Country counties. With personalized attention from your faculty, a great university community, and faith-centered preparation for all kinds of careers. Hardin-Simmons University. Why would you not consider HSU? What kind of fan goes to Buffalo Wild Wings this time of year? The true sports fan. The type of fan that knows there is no offseason. The type of fan that wants more sports. And guess what? Buffalo Wild Wings is all sports all the time. True fans want more beer and more wings, too. And with more than 20 different sauces and seasonings, Buffalo Wild Wings has more flavors than ever before. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings really is the place for true fans. And that's the kind of fan we love. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Since we opened our doors in 1890, First Financial has followed a simple philosophy. You first. It means we never forget who we really work for. That we know we're entrusted not only with your money, but your hopes and dreams. And it means that our most important asset is you, our customers. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan coming from inside the Forge Radio Studios, where our Docs and Jocks uh, sports medicine radio show is broadcast. Uh, joined every week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, and uh, filling in was Brandon Hawk. But we have on a special guest today. We're going to do a little interview with the Director of Baseball Operations at the Forge Baseball Academy, Head Coach Scotty Sanchez, who's former head coach, who was head coach at Abilene High University for 20 years of baseball. Uh, coach Scotty Sanchez, one of the all-time winningest head coaches in all of Abilene baseball history. Thanks for being in, uh, on uh, Docs and Jocks. It's good to be here again with you, Dr. Dan. Yeah, so hey, I thought well, this would be a fun time to talk a little bit about the off season and what guys should be doing if they want to be ready for baseball season. That's about high school's about six weeks, eight weeks away. So this is the time of the year, I think, when you can prevent injuries. I always say if you wait till the season to start trying to get in shape and prevent injuries, I feel like you're a little bit behind the eight ball. This is the time of the year where you could be doing some training and getting your arm in shape, getting yourself in shape. Do you agree that this is the time of the year to be really doing some training and getting their bodies back in shape getting ready for baseball? Absolutely. And, you know, most of those guys have already been at it uh, throughout the fall. Uh, most of them have probably done some simulation. You know, some pitchers have probably simulated some games. Uh, throughout September, October, gave their arms some time to rest. And uh, now they're probably starting to get ready to start long toss routines, get those arms in shape for the season that's coming up. And then, of course, uh, you know, they're probably hitting the weight room conditioning quite a bit at this point of the year. Yeah, I just uh, got back. Uh, my son went to Texas Baseball Ranch. And I had a good interview with Ron Wolforth. I learned more about throwing and how to get ready to throw. He believes that you should warm up to throw as opposed to throw to warm up. And really, I learned a lot about how to get ready and how to get your body ready. But there's a lot of muscles you have to have involved in throwing. It's not your arm. It's really really minimally your arm. It's your core as well and the legs and all the things. Tell us what goes into our pitcher getting ready for the season, what he needs to be developing. Well, absolutely. And at this point, our pitchers have probably already developed their core to a point that we're comfortable with. But I mean, if you think about it, you've got your core. Um, you want to be solid there in the middle so that your appendages – 
aren't nearly as wiggly. I mean, you're, you're not, so we don't have as much uh, wiggle room in your arms and legs, so they're a little bit uh, tighter because you've got a tight core. So uh, our pitchers at this point probably have already been through a conditioning program that has solidified their core to the point that it's now time to go ahead and start putting those arms and legs to use. But just like you said, yeah, I think there's uh, – you don't see a lot of teams that go out there and they just start throwing. Yeah. And that's the first thing they do. Well, that's uh, – it's kind of a great, you know, great thing that you saw over there at the baseball ranch is that you do. You need to warm up to throw, not throw to warm up. Yeah. And uh, you'll see a lot of teams. As a matter of fact, as we learned more and more about it, we would go and we'd watch teams and we'd saw teams that would come out. And that was the first thing they started doing. We thought, well, okay, well, these guys haven't kept up with, uh, you know, the changing trends in baseball a little bit. Right. And you, I know you uh, at the Forge where you do your baseball academy, uh, there's a training facility associated with that. And you always recommend that your players try and become athletic by doing strengthening and body training, you know, body weight uh, training and trying to get quicker, faster, stronger and kind of give their bodies a rest from baseball, which can, tend, can nowadays almost be a 12-month year venture where they're playing ball all the time. Some of these young bodies need a little time off from baseball-specific activities, but maybe working on things like training where they're trying to become better athletes. Would you agree? Absolutely. And uh, there is a time that you've got to take a break, especially with our younger athletes, you know, with our kids that, uh, uh, that we train here. Um, we try to get them to train year-round in the strength and conditioning aspect, the flexibility, you know, the the arm injury prevention, all those types of things. And there's a time that you've got to step away from uh, – you've got to put the baseball down for a little bit. You've got to put the bats down for a little bit, um, you know, just to – just number one, to try to keep a fire burning. Mm-hmm. And number two, to, to give those – you know, to give those body parts a, a rest to heal and, and to, you know, to, to regenerate. You know, one of the things, too, you're a White Sox uh, scout – and you're uh, looking at young players, one of the things you look at is those measurables. So you want your players to have the ability to run a fast 60 time. You want them to be able to swing a bat incredibly fast. You measure their velocity. You want them to be able to throw it with high velocity. And some of those things are learned through being athletic. You know, they do a 5-10-5 now where you do, you know, 5 ten feet, five yards to your right, 10 back to your left, and then 5 to your right, how quick you are. That's one of the things you as a White Sox uh, scout, you look at those things and you learn that through being athletic and training well, there's no question and i think one of the fallacies is is we've got a bunch of kids that are playing a large number of games mm-hmm. so uh when you see that you might see a kid that might be a little bit more refined than somebody that hasn't had that opportunity to go play a large number of games but you see an athleticism in a kid that hasn't been had that opportunity to go play a select or travel ball uh, model um, so he might not nearly be as refined but you see an athleticism in that kid that's going to take him or give him a possibility to, you know, to reach heights that the one that may have played more games won't reach. You know, so for example, we might see somebody that's played a hundred plus ball games throughout the year, and we know that person. Well, that's where he's at. I mean, he's played a hundred games. This is kind of where he's going to be. But then we see somebody that might have played twenty or thirty, or just played the natural little league model, and uh, we see some potential in that kid that hasn't had that opportunity to play. Uh, you know, in a, in a large number of ball games like the travel ball or select right. model model uh, offers. So, you know, a lot of times it's hard for I think I think it's harder for high school coaches because they're supposed to win now, and you've yeah. got some kids that have played quite a bit that come in with over uh, with an advantage over kids that haven't played as much. Um, but if you would just take a little bit of time to develop those that haven't played as much that have that athletic ability, uh, you would see your program improve right you know and i know you travel all over the country and you'll they'll they'll say hey we got a kid in el paso we want you to look at her midland or lubbock or amarillo and you'll go watch this kid 
you know, just kind of give us a rundown when you're going as a scout and maybe, you know, you've been said, hey, this kid is a left-handed pitcher. Or this kid's a right-handed corner guy that can hit bombs. When you go watch them play, kind of give us the whole blend of what you're looking at. Is it the look they have when you first see them? Do they fit the part? Is it the uh, how they play in the game, how they carry themselves during the game, or their measurables, or is it a combination of all of them? It is a combination. You know, one of the things that I do at my uh, – I'm a more of a numbers guy, so what happens is I'll send out with the number of relationships that I was able to de- develop throughout my time as a baseball coach at Abilene High School. Um, it became valuable for uh, a scout that I knew that uh, was responsible for the Texas-Oklahoma area. So he said, well, since you already have a relationship with those guys, um, would you be consider you know, scouting for, for us at that time? It was the Baltimore Orioles. Um, so I got into it, and I was able to use those contacts to get a hold of guys. And what happens is I'll send emails to all the coaches that I know throughout West Texas, and I've got from Weatherford to the New Mexico border, Amarillo to El Paso. Dang, that's a long and, area. Uh, that's a big area. You know, it, it does seem like a big area. But, uh, you know, word gets out on those guys that are pretty good pretty fast. So I'll have to go and I'll check those guys and turn in some numbers and some measurables, like you just said, to see if they meet you know, what the coach is telling us. And most of the time we find with uh, with the high school coach that we really depend on, you know, their, you know, their opinion is valuable. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll get that high school coach and they'll give us a, an idea who they think might be next level good. Um, we'll go see those and say, hey, you know, these measurables do match what you're telling us. And then we'll look at some of those other variables. You know, how tall is this kid? How big is this kid? How much can he grow into his body? We'll look at his parents. You know, does he have uh, an athletic background throughout his ancestry? Um, you know, how does the kid carry himself? And then one of the things that we're going to look at is social media and other types of things and to see, you know, what type of things is, is this young man into. Do you ever look at the parents and uh, see one uh, hanging on the fence screaming at his kid and say, uh-oh, do you ever do that? Do you ever, get, do you ever, do you ever watch the parents in the stands <laughs> and see know, how they interact? Dr. Dan, it's funny you say that because as I was finishing my, uh, my high school career, um, the more and more conversations I was having with college coaches was they were starting to determine – um, the very thing you just said. They were starting to look at parent parental behavior, and, and it could affect whether or not they were going to offer um, a scholarship, partial scholarship, or whatever, to that student. Because they said, for the first time in college baseball, because of this travel model, and this travel ball model and select model that's become so popular, that uh, parents have become somewhat involved and sometimes uh, <laughs> too nice too involved. You yeah. know? So, uh, as a matter of fact, I was having a conversation with. Uh, I was lucky enough to have one of my players go play at the University of Arizona, and their head coach, Andy Lopez, they won a national championship right, yeah. there while he was there. And he talked about that very thing. He said, can you believe, Coach, that I'm having to sit in my office and talk to some parent about playing time oh, at man. a college at the level? College level. And, yeah. uh, and I was kind of taken aback. And I can understand, you know, at a high school level where, you know, you don't recruit and and, uh, you know, you get what you get. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to think that you might have to deal with that at a D1 or at any type of uh, level beyond high school is uh, was uh, kind of news to me. Yeah. Hey, so we've talked about pitchers and getting their arms ready. Let's move into hitters now. So hitters about six to eight weeks out. Always seems like early on in the year, maybe the pitchers have a little bit of a head start on the hitters. Hitters take a while to get geared up. So what should a hitter be doing right now? Six to eight weeks out, what would you be recommending your hitters be doing this this time frame, getting ready to start their you know travel ball season in the spring or their high school season in the spring or their little league season in the spring? What should they be doing? You know, they, you do, hitting, you know, unlike pitching, is something that you can do on a consistent basis, even throughout the year. You know, if you play football, you do other sports, which we recommend that you do. You play basketball. Um, we're all for it. 
Uh, but you know, it's something that you can continue to do once or twice a week just to try to keep that hand-eye coordination. And plus, there's going to be some other things that you do by playing other sports that's going to continue that hand-eye coordination for you. For example, I had a tennis player um, that didn't play baseball as a freshman through a junior, came and asked if he could play baseball his senior year. And once I got approval from his tennis coach, reluctantly allowed him to try out. Yeah. Well, I had a couple injuries that year, and he ended up being my best uh, – but best hitter really you know, us, so, and know, he was out for two years he was out he was out as a from a freshman through wow, his that's remarkable because uh, you know in terms of average whether yeah. he was my best hitter he, he was my best hitter for average yeah and uh so there was something to what he had been doing <laughs> you know that that hand-eye yeah. coordination for example so you know over the next course of the next several years i considered instead of running my guys through our strength and conditioning and all that offseason that we'd been doing i'd considered hey let's just all play tennis and then <laughs> let's come back i'm just kidding about that but you know there's something to playing those other sports and that hand eye but right now at this point you know hitters are going to start to be getting loose uh they should be they should be somewhat comfortable with their approach in terms of what their swing should be yeah. feeling like and we should be getting to a point that they're going to start trying to master what they're going to see. For example, am I going to see a number of, you know, what's going to be my approach if this guy's going to try to attack me with nothing but fastballs? And, of course, age and, and uh, level is going to determine, um, you know, what it is you're trying to adjust to. You know, as a high school kid uh, at this point, we were really working hard on we're just going to hammer the fastball. So if I've got a weakness some point, for example, if my weakness is up and in on a fastball, I'm going to get a lot better at that because anytime they throw something to us straight, we want to be able to attack it. Right, and they were, we were going to force at the high school level them to beat us with off speed. Now, obviously, as you get older and they get better control and better command over those other pitches, I would imagine those guys are working on being able to adjust and make adjustments to those types of uh, real time, yeah. you know, baseball plays. And then how about fielders? Right now, it's real cold, and you know, obviously, most of the country is indoors. You know, anywhere up north, it's you know under under freezing. So, what should you guys be doing inside? Things that they can do to help with their fielding? Should they be working with tennis balls? What should they be doing? Absolutely. You know, tennis balls, anything you can do. Just taking a tennis ball and throwing a good old throwing a tennis ball off the wall. Yeah. And uh, reacting to that and, you know, doing something to keep it interesting for you. Um, you know, like you do, anything that you can do to catch the ball and help your reaction time. And that's why, we, you know, we, out here we do the speed ladder, we do the ropes. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of things to keep that footwork going. So right now they're really working on fine-tuning their footwork. They're really working on fine-tuning how they're going to bring the ball into their body and then take it away to make their throws. Those are all the things that you're going to be working on really hard right now. Yeah. And tell us uh, kind of when you started uh, getting when, – when is it allowed uh, in Texas right now? I know we're, we have a list of audience outside of Texas, but as a coach, when were you allowed to start working with these players and getting them ready, like officially, when were you able to start? Officially, the last, uh, the last Friday in January is the first day that they'll be able to go out. So for most coaches, um, of course, it's going to vary from classification, you know, from 6A to where you're going to have several kids yeah. that, are, that are trying out for a team. So typically most coaches will use that weekend – um, to run their tryouts and then uh, start beginning their practice uh, the following Monday. You know, hopefully trying to get squads set up um, for through their, uh, their developmental programs, uh, their JVs and their freshmen and their sophomore programs um, throughout the course of that weekend and that first week. Then that leads you into your scrimmage season, which gives you three weeks to scrimmage, and then you start your tournament season, which leads you into your to your district uh, district baseball. Hey, if you're a listening audience member and you were thinking about trying out for a baseball team, maybe it's a 6A team, 5A team, 4A team, and you're not sure if you're going to make it, I'm going to ask Coach Sanchez, who was a head coach for 20 years, this question. If you have a kid on the bubble, what are some of the things that kid can do to impress you as a coach to be able to make the team versus some of the things that he could do 
to where you, you, he doesn't make it? What could a – is it hustle? Is it attitude? Give us, as a 20-year experience, a kid on the bubble that makes a team, why would he have a chance to make it? Give us some of those things. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because we would go through those tryout periods. Uh, for example, we would have an approximately uh, 70 freshmen show yeah, up, maybe right. a few upperclassmen because our upperclassmen had already established themselves as who was going to move forward. Um, showing up for maybe 15 to 20 spots yeah. uh, on a team. So what we found is we got we a one-in-three chance of making it. Well, you know, you got about a one-in-three chance of making it. We would find that immediately just by watching them throw, you've got four or five that are no-doubters. Uh-huh. And then you've got stuff to fill in the pieces that are going to fit best in your program. So, uh, for example, uh, you know, we might need throwers. We might need somebody with speed. And then you're going to run into those guys that, they're a lot alike. So the difference, you're like, like you said, it could be uh, uh, attitude or, or how do they get along with the rest of the teammates? You know, yeah. What are they going to bring to us um, that's not going to be your everyday player? How's that guy going to fit in with your program? And not be, I mean, they might not necessarily be the best player, but he's got to be the right player. So be a great teammate, have a great attitude, and out-hustle everybody. That would be a good could key ingredient to try and make it a team that kid's going to have a great opportunity yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. and talent doesn't hurt but if you're if you're, you're there this if, is just reality you've got to have roles and, yeah, and yeah. not everybody's going to be an everyday player yeah. but somebody's got you know you might have somebody that's really good at picking off signs you might have somebody that just yeah. gets along with everybody else and that guy that can make your dugout better you know he's got a lot better chance than somebody make them so uh, they have to take you be so, <laughs> out hustle everybody so they have to take you, man. Hey, there's no I love those players, man. Every coach loves that. Hey, everybody here at the Forge loves Coach Scotty Sanchez. He is the director of baseball operations. If someone wants to reach out to you and become part of your Forge Baseball Academy, how do they do so? They were on the Forge website, and uh, we're starting to get pretty busy right now. I'm real proud of the guys that I have that awesome. uh, work for me. So go to the Forge website, and uh, we'll make time for you. Perfect. All right. Hey, we'll be right back. More Docs and Jocks after a short commercial break. At First Financial, we're celebrating our first 125 years. And we wouldn't be here without our customers. So thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with your dreams. Thanks for your commercial business. And your personal business. Thank you for being part of our family. And making us part of yours. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Hey, Big Country Seniors. Did you know that a private Christian higher education is now more affordable than ever? At Hardin-Simmons University, high school seniors from the Big Country are now eligible for a $40,000 scholarship. That's $10,000 a year towards your Hardin-Simmons education just for being a resident of one of the 24 Big Country counties. With personalized attention from your faculty, a great university community, and faith-centered preparation for all kinds of careers. Hardin-Simmons University. Why would you not consider HSU? What kind of fan goes to Buffalo Wild Wings this time of year? The true sports fan. The type of fan that knows there is no offseason. The type of fan that wants more sports. And guess what? Buffalo Wild Wings is all sports all the time. True fans want more beer and more wings, too. And with more than 20 different sauces and seasonings, Buffalo Wild Wings has more flavors than ever before. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings really is the place for true fans. And that's the kind of fan we love. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Since we opened our doors in 1890, First Financial has followed a simple philosophy. You first. It means we never forget who we really work for. That we know we're entrusted not only with your money, but your hopes and dreams. And it means that our most important asset is you, our customers. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. 
First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. Hey, if you ever want to listen to our show anytime, anywhere, you can do so by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and subscribe and get to our show that way. We, hey, we want to say thank you to all our listening audience who's made our show one of the fastest growing podcasts out there. Also, you can listen to us or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and happy to be part of our show that way as well. You can also email us your questions by going to docsandjocks.com and clicking the contact button. So great to have you with us today in any of those different forms. This week, uh, my co-host is Brandon Hawk, the uh, former Dallas Cowboy and Texas Tech Red Raider uh, athletic trainer. And Hawk, we just had a great interview with Coach Scotty Sanchez. Man, if you're not gearing up for baseball right now, it's uh, only pro- probably because if you're playing basketball or something, you know, which is fine. <laughs> but you probably need to be gearing up. You're only about four to six weeks out. Man, really four weeks because the last Friday of January they can start playing so or start practicing. So Yeah, you know, if you're a Rangers fan like me, uh, you're kind of – I don't know, not really sure what's going to come this season. And, uh, you know, they're trying to pick up some off-season pitching help. But uh, as a Ranger fan, you just never know. Yep. When you're right. your last in the league next year, you're on the World Series. So who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you never know with the uh, Texas Rangers. I love the Texas Rangers, but they are a who-knows type team. Hey, the NHL uh, Ranger, uh, NHL hockey player Chris Kreider, he was uh, had an upper extremity clot in his arm so his his arm had a clot called a dvt in it which is very rare we see a clots dvts or deep venous thrombosis they're called in the lower extremities in other words you get a clot in your lower leg that can break off and go to your heart well it can happen in your arm too it doesn't happen very often and oftentimes it's missed because your symptoms are just arm swelling so they didn't know what was going on with him they didn't know if he'd had a traumatic injury where he's you know he got a bruise and it was swelling but he was noticed before the game to have his arm was swelling and uh, he tried to go on during the game, but it got worse during the game. And the reason it swells is, remember, your veins in your arm are what carry arterial blood or the blood in arteries to the muscles. Then they lose, they drop off their oxygen. Then they come back through what's called your venous system, getting carried back to your heart to go, go to your lungs and get some more oxygen put in them. And he had a clot in that venous system. So, Hawk, one of the things I thought you and I could talk about, what causes clotting in okay. athletes? So... There was a thing called Virchow's triad. It was on all my tests but going through medical school. So clotting occurs when you have trauma to that area. So, okay. you know, the most common reason we see clots in the hospital are people have surgery. Well, surgery would be an automatic trauma, right? You're going yeah. through veins and vessels when things, if you cut yourself, there's a signal in your body, go clot that area because you've had trauma, right? Yes. So that cascade gets kicked in inappropriate sometimes after you've had trauma and you end up clotting that area. Uh, also, venous stasis, which just means you're, your blood in your veins is not moving. So anyone who's ever sat on a plane for a long time and they don't fire their muscles in their legs, they oftentimes can get, not oftentimes, but sometimes can get clots in their lower legs. Yeah. The way your veins work are there's valves along those veins which are carrying that blood and your muscles contracting pushes the blood up to the next valve in the vein and it holds it there. It's like almost like a locks and dams type version in your in your intervenous system. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you don't fire your muscles, you don't push the blood. If the blood pulls too long, it sometimes clots. So venous stasis can sometimes cause you to clot. So a person who's had surgery, trauma, they're just laying there, not moving. They're, they can, their blood's not moving. Their muscles aren't firing. They're at a high risk to have a clot. That's why we put special precautions in place to try and prevent lower extremity clotting. 
And then if you also, some people are born with an, a hypercoagulable state. How about that for a term? In other words, they clot too easy. They make clots very easily because there's certain things are either missing in that uh, clotting system that allows them to clot easier or certain things they have in that clotting system extra that allow them to clot easier. And so oftentimes if you have like this guy, I bet Chris Kreider probably got a consult with a hematologist, a blood specialist, to see if he had any of those things that would make him clot easier than other people given he had a rare uh, clot in his upper extremity. But it can be life-threatening because if that clot breaks off, it can go to your heart and then to your lungs and block part of your lungs. We call that a pulmonary embolus, but it can be life-threatening. So. That, that was my next question. You always talk, you hear about the blood clots from the legs going into the lungs and yeah. killing someone. I wasn't sure what the direction or the severity could be with the in, within the upper yeah. extremity, so I guess it's the exact same. Same thing. All venous blood empties into your right yeah. side of your heart, which then gets pumped into your lungs, which is, gets oxygenated, which is then supposed to go back into your left side of your heart and then out to your body. Well, that, that blood goes in your right side of the heart. The venous blood gets pumped to your lungs. Well, that clot now is with it. It goes into your lung, and it clots off part of those vessels that are supplying oxygen in your lungs. We call that a pulmonary embolus, and then that's why you lose part of your lung and become life-threatening. Yeah, this is a big loss for the Rangers. He was one of their top goal scorers in the season, so they're at a crucial tight playoff race, so this is a real big loss for the Rangers. And so yeah. my, my question would be, do you think this guy will – they say his recovery time will be six to eight weeks – so is this something that a physician will place him on, like a blood thinning type medicine, and he can return in six to eight, six to eight weeks? How does how does that return to play protocol work? Remember, we had that with Chris Bosh. Remember him, Chris yeah, Bosh yeah. had that of the Miami yeah. Heat thing too. Sometimes uh, it's it's very uh, concerning when you have an athlete in a traumatic sport on a blood thinner. Yeah. So let's say uh, Chad Kreider or Chris Kreider for the uh, uh, New York uh, Rangers goes out and he plays on blood thinner and he. Like a lot of hockey players, get slammed into the into the uh, boards, or he you know gets hit and he hits head hits the ice. Yeah. Now you have an increased risk for a bleed in your brain, and you don't have a way to stop it, right? Oh, wow. You're at a higher risk for a bleed. Yeah. So most of the time in traumatic sp- sports like hockey or football that have a high collision rate, you're not going to let someone go back and play a sport that is a high risk to have a severe catastrophic injury if they were to bleed and not be able to stop it. So Chris Kreider would be unlikely to play on blood thinners. Now, if they put him on blood thinners and he's able to come off those at a period of time and then get back on the ice, not being on them, it was a one-time event. That's why I'm saying he'll probably have a hematologist come look at his blood to make sure he's he's not at risk of having multiple yeah. uh, clots in his blood that he would need to be on a blood thinner. That's what happened to Chris Bosch. They said he had a clot in his leg, broke off, went to his lung, pulmonary embolism. He was placed on blood thinners, came off of them, had another one right before the All-Star game, yeah. and then he was found that he was probably going to stay on these blood thinners, and he chose not to play. Yeah, because instead of it being a single traumatic event, it was something maybe in his history or hem- yeah, hematology the study of his blood that showed that exactly more prevalent. So once again, uh, it's, it's kind of individually uh, looked at, and every, individ- every individual case is a little bit different. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, Baker Mayfield, uh, Oklahoma University's Heisman Trophy winner, who's he has now missed the first three days of team activities. Remember, they're getting ready to play the semifinals in the uh, NCAA uh, Division One playoffs, and he has an unknown illness, which sounds like uh, some crud is what I would call that, a viral crud this time of the year. Maybe, the who knows, flu or bronchitis, all those things going around. <laughs> when you're in a small group of people and you are in a compacted, confined area with that same group for a long time, uh, it makes you at a very high risk to be passing around viral illnesses like the flu or those types of injuries so you see a higher incidence this time of the year during flu season and then men that are people that are in confined areas army you know military college people that's why you see them spread the way they do 
So anyway, they're going to play Georgia on Monday, and so he's missed Disneyland and Media Day, which Man. in my world, I'd be okay with either one. He's missing <laughs> either one of those. I'm not a big amusement park guy, and Media Day just sounds like a headache to me. But he uh, was a runaway Heisman Trophy after leading the nation in passing efficiencies these last two years. So first of all, let's say Baker Mayfield is all, by all indications, he's probably going to be back for the game. Oklahoma versus Georgia, who are you going with? As much as I dislike Baker Mayfield, I'm going to go with Oklahoma on this game. <laughs> you know, Baker Mayfield did leave my Texas Tech Red Raiders, so I have a little bit of uh, just gruntledness left in my bones uh, for Baker. But uh, I think uh, that Oklahoma offense is really, really good. I know the Georgia running game is solid, but I don't think they're going to have an answer for that tight end, especially at Oklahoma. I think he's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's a stud tight end. Yeah, absolutely. And then we we'll go Alabama-Clemson. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go against the Sabanisms <laughs> this year. I'm, I'm gonna say Davo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. There you go. All right, Hawk. We'll are you gonna to Are you gonna make your picks here? Or? I'm just gonna pick with yours. I'm gonna stay okay. with yours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nobody wants to listen. I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm not a sports analyst of any You're sort. You're a Division One athlete. Give yourself <laughs> okay. some credit. Well, that's true, but. Anyway, well, I'll stick with yours. Hey, uh, we had one of our uh, favorite interviews we ever did here on Docs and Jocks was with Buddy Stevens. He was the head football coach uh, for for East Mississippi Community College. If you ever want to go back and listen to Buddy Stevens, man, it was a great interview. The uh, If you haven't seen the Last Chance You uh, Netflix series where they follow East Mississippi Community College through an entire two seasons and their coach, uh, how do you describe Buddy Stevens to people, Hawk? How do you describe him? Um, uh, I describe him just rough around <clears throat> the edges with no filter. Yeah, yeah, and he felt he, he tried the second year to try and develop a filter, and it just failed. He failed miserably. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's leave it at that. He yeah. failed miserably. Yeah. So uh, we had Buddy Stevens on the radio show, and and one of the th- great quotes from Buddy Stevens, I said, "Buddy, does it hard having cameras in your locker room and trying to you know to tone things down and all those types of things?" And uh, and he said, uh, "Man, everybody loves sausage. Nobody wants to see how it's made." That it's was one of the great quotes. Quote. I love that interview <laughs> quote, man. But anyway, East Mississippi Community College and Buddy Stevens and my good friend Tom Hubner, who was their president of East Mississippi Community College, who, who got uh, Buddy on our show, uh, they went out and won a national championship again this year. They won the National Junior College uh, Championship, and uh, kudos to Buddy Stevens and Tom Hubner at East Mississippi Community College. And we'll never know, like, if Buddy's cleaned up or if he's still rough with no filter. We don't know because supposedly not another season of last year. Well, I kind of figured the second season when Buddy Stevens kicked the cameraman and said, get out of my locker room, I thought maybe the show was coming to a close. Fired his offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, fired I mean, whole, he <laughs> fired everybody. The one likable guy on his staff <laughs> on the show. The academic advisor yeah, she was yeah, – I don't know how he's going to do without it, but he figured it out. He yep. got a new crew in there and won it, so Buddy Stevens figures out how to do it again, man. Good job, buddy. Attaboy, buddy. Hey, Tyrone Smith, uh, Tyrone Smith for the Cowboys, remember the left tackle. He is now on injured reserve. So you want to play in the NFL, you want to be a lineman in the NFL, these are Tyrone Smith's injuries this year. He's had a knee injury, a back injury, groin injury, and hip injury all this year, and he's been now placed on injured reserve. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, hey, you want to play in the NFL. I mean, it is a violent game, and there are a lot of injuries each week, and it really allows you to appreciate the talent that actually plays each week. These guys that have these long streaks of playing, it makes you respect and those guys much more because this is a very, very tough game, not only mentally but physically as well. Hey, when you were uh, part of the Dallas Cowboys athletic training staff, were you surprised when you got there? I know you'd worked with Texas Tech Red Raiders, but how many injuries these guys had and how hard it was to keep them played and patched up all year long? Yeah, you know, I learned something real quick. Uh, early on, we were doing the pre-draft screenings, and we were looking at a linebacker one time and from some college, and that it said no previous injury history on there. 
And the athletic training staff immediately said, oh, this guy, we, we're not taking this guy. And I was like, why? This guy's injury-free. They're like, if the guy's injury-free, he's not a football player. And I was just like, wow. So we even were okay with guys having injuries because we knew that they would get after it. But I was very surprised because my approach was, hey, this guy's injury-free. He's not a risk. But they're wow. like, wow, this guy is has no injuries. means he's not a football player. Great lead-in to my next story. So the NFL does a long-term injury surveillance study. So the NFL goes out and looks at all different types of injuries and whether or not players can return and those types of things. So they looked at players who had had some type of surgery, whether it was for a fracture, whether it was for an ACL rupture, patellar tendon rupture, all the injuries we talked about here on Docs and Jocks. They found that 79.4% of all players who had a surgery returned. So about 80%, a little under 80%. I mean, 21% don't return after surgery, which is kind of astounding, actually. Yeah. 90% of fractures return to play. So the best injury you can have is you break a bone, you get a, you get a fracture heel like Tony Romo's clavicle, yeah. uh, you know, Aaron uh, Rodgers' clavicle. So if you have a fracture, 90% of the time you're coming back. Maybe yeah. you wouldn't if it was a bad, bad tibial fracture or something like that. The injuries that were the least likely to return, the surgeries that were done on football players, least likely to return. Can you guess it off the top of your head, Hawk? This is, uh, I didn't give him any prep for this, so no, you don't even know the answer to this. Uh, uh, the injuries that are the least likely to return. I'm going to say the toe injury. A patellar tendon rupture. Oh, Only oh, returned gosh. 50% of the time. That makes sense. Yeah, they were the lowest uh, I- uh, surgery to return to play after they had that injury because it's such a large tendon. It controls all the muscles of your quad yeah. that go over your patella, and then they rupture the patellar tendon. I just found that astounding. The longest recovery time for surgeries was ACL reconstruction, Achilles tendon uh, rupture repair, patellar tendon ruptures. All three were longer than a year out from the time of their injury. If I thought you know you tr- you were playing a trick question on me there, so oh, with the you? toe injury. But <laughs> if you would ask me why I was in the NFL, what injury I would say is obviously patellar tendon is crazy and quad tendon as well. But the uh, microfracture surgery for the oh, knee. Oh yeah. Every time a linebacker had that, we oh, hardly know. their career was done. Yeah, it just seems like such a catastrophic injuries. But you know all these injuries, uh, you know. The same injuries that took the longest to return from, your ACL reconstruction, your Achilles rupture repair, and your patellar tendon rupture uh, surgery. Also, those injuries had the worst post-return play performance. How about that? That was interesting. So those are the kind of things that go into implications for, like, drafting a player. Yeah. You know, if you've had a guy who's had an ACL reconstruction, knowing that their play performance usually goes down, not always. We've seen great players come back, obviously. But, uh, you know, it goes into where you take players in the draft. There's implications for that for sure, don't you believe? Yeah, I mean, you see later in the later in the late rounds of the draft, teams are taking risk on these some of these players with ACL injuries early on in their career. I mean, you know, some of these guys, you got like a Thomas Davis with the, oh, with the uh, Carolina Panthers. Crazy guys. You know, he's had like three ACL tears on one knee. I mean, it's just crazy. And he's still playing. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just. Hey, speaking of guys still playing, 39-year-old James Harrison just got uh, picked up by the Patriots after the uh, the Steelers let him go. Here's what he said. James <laughs> Harrison, people who were upset at me, if anybody thought I signed a two-year deal with a team in the NFL at age 39 to sit on the bench and collect a check and a participation trophy, they were mistaken. I didn't sign up to sit on the bench and be a cheerleader. I was clear <laughs> about what when I signed. I told them I wanted to be on the field when I signed. So, anyway, James Harrison, one of the toughest – meanest son of a guns on a football field for sure his play he is back with the patriots baby (laughs) he wants to play hey with that all said i want to say thank you for being listeners with docs and jocks thanks for one of our 
fastest growing uh, podcast on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks. They love to have you part of our show. Remember, you can follow our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Thank you for all our wonderful guests today, Coach Sanchez, Dr. Collum, my co-host today, Brandon Hawk, from uh, myself, Dr. Dan. We'll be back next week with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. At First Financial, we're celebrating our first 125 years. And we wouldn't be here without our customers. So thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with your dreams. Thanks for your commercial business. And your personal business. Thank you for being part of our family. And making us part of yours. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC. Hey, Big Country Seniors. Did you know that a private Christian higher education is now more affordable than ever? The Hardin-Simmons University high school seniors from the Big Country are now eligible for a $40,000 scholarship. That's $10,000 a year towards your Hardin-Simmons education just for being a resident of one of the 24 Big Country counties. With personalized attention from your faculty, a great university community, and faith-centered preparation for all kinds of careers. Hardin-Simmons University. Why would you not consider HSU? What kind of fan goes to Buffalo Wild Wings this time of year? The true sports fan. The type of fan that knows there is no offseason. The type of fan that wants more sports. And guess what? Buffalo Wild Wings is all sports all the time. True fans want more beer and more wings, too. And with more than 20 different sauces and seasonings, Buffalo Wild Wings has more flavors than ever before. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings really is the place for true fans. And that's the kind of fan we love. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Since we opened our doors in 1890, First Financial has followed a simple philosophy. You first. It means we never forget who we really work for. That we know we're entrusted not only with your money, but your hopes and dreams. And it means that our most important asset is you, our customers. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Thanks to you, after 125 years, we're just getting started. First Financial. You first. Member FDIC.